Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. One of the most challenging things we do is convey abstract terms like love, sadness, death, birth. These are big ideas. And these feelings are very broad and vague, and they're not at all easy to express on the page. So as writers, we must continually ask, how does my character's love manifest? How does my character's grief manifest? So your task is to render these large ideas in concrete ways. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach, and each week we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. story, you should always be building emotions, but it's challenging to get those emotions on the page in a way that the reader feels it. Flannery O'Connor once said that you can't create emotion with emotion. So the trick is not to tell us how your character feels, but to evoke emotion in your reader, to make your reader feel what your character feels, even if the character is suppressing his or her emotions or not even able to describe how they feel. So before we dive in, let's look at three main missteps writers make with character emotion. What blocks many works of fiction and even memoir from true feeling can be boiled down to three things, obvious emotion, excessive emotion, or not enough emotion. So obvious emotion, for example, let's say characters are in a hospital and their child dies after a bad accident. And it's written like this. At first, Becky just sat there, realizing what had happened, and then began to sob uncontrollably as the pent-up emotions that had been building burst and were released through her tears. David stood behind her with tears streaming down his face, trying to comfort his wife, but let her cry. Now, we expect Becky and David to grieve, to cry, to mourn, 
And that expectation renders it unnecessary to elaborate at such length. So obvious emotion, we expect tears, we expect agonizing grief, but this reads more like a report. It's very detached. Obvious emotions may also lead to common catchphrases like, her heart leapt, his eyes filled with tears, he pounded his fist on the table, or labeled emotion using words like happy, scared, grief-stricken, heartbroken, etc. Now, emotions can't be expressed with general, abstract words. I mean, sure, the reader can intellectualize those feelings. They understand what happy, sad, angry, etc. means, but these are dead words. The reader, sure, they understand tears, they understand pounding fists and screams, but they can't feel it. And then we have excessive emotion. This is when the writing becomes melodramatic. So for example, Two of the women went screaming out of the room and a loud groan in unison rose to a crescendo and was heard in the corridors of the hospital. Or women pounded their chests in grief. So we have obvious emotion and then we have excessive emotion. And then we have not enough emotion. And this is what John Gardner calls frigidity when neither the author or the characters seem to care sufficiently. For example, when David's daughter dies, David may be described as being deeply wounded with the news, although he never displayed any emotion or pain to his friends and family. We can assume that he's being stereotypically stoic, that he's burying his emotions and grieving in private, but we don't intuit anything about how he truly feels through the language itself. The only hint we get is the narrator's vague observation that this strong man had seemingly aged in just a few days. Now, when characters don't seem to react sufficiently to what's happening, this usually comes from the writer's attempt to avoid melodramatic displays of emotion, to not exaggerate the grief or the anger, whatever the emotion is, but the character underreacts to a situation that should elicit a stronger emotional response from the reader. Even if the character is suppressing his or her emotions, the language can be used to evoke what's underneath. So in all of these examples, obvious emotion, excessive emotion, or not enough emotion, the reader won't feel moved. And that's the whole point, to move the reader. The reader should know how your character feels as he or she moves through the external events of the story, but that doesn't mean you have to tell us how he or she feels or that you have him or her overreact or underreact. So how do you bring emotion onto the page? How do you make your reader feel something? How do you get your reader to feel for and with your character? 
Emotions are fluid. They're complex. They're layered. They're nuanced. And that's why generic words don't capture emotion or transfer the emotion to the reader. In story, we're moved by what happens, not by the crying or screaming of the writer's presentation of what happens. In a great story, we're moved by characters and events, not by the emotion of the person who happens to be telling the story. Our primary tool for creating emotion is language. So we need to consider the connotation of words and how emotion can be conveyed through action, dialogue, gestures, pauses, body language, and description of setting. So here are three techniques you can use to bring emotion to your story and most importantly, move your reader's emotions. So here we go. Number one, stay anchored in your character's subjective reality. Every character has a lens through which he or she looks at the world. And you can think of that lens as a two-way viewfinder, a view to the outside world itself, but also to their inner soul. So when we think of our own emotions, it's not just what happens, it's how we interpret what happens. So a great way to convey emotion is to identify not just what your character sees, but how those things actually look to him or her. So if your character is in the hospital when a loved one dies, how might that hospital look in this moment of agonizing loss? What would this person notice? Now, the hospital would look a lot different if this character just had a baby. So a great exercise is to Try to describe a room from the perspective of a man whose son has just died. Don't mention the death. Then describe the same room from the perspective of a man whose wife has just given birth to a healthy baby boy. Don't mention the birth. Now, characters' emotions arise from how they interpret what's happening, not from the event itself. So your goal isn't to tell us how they feel, but to convey their experience. Here's a great example from Sheila Schwartz's story, Out of Body Travel. Here, the details reveal the deep currents of emotion that the young narrator is not willing, able, or ready to confront. This allows the reader to inhabit her emotional world and to know things about her that even she may not be aware of yet. So Suzanne's life is already overturned by her father's desertion and her mother's ensuing instability. And all that is intensified by the arrival of her cousin, Clara, who arrives straight from a mental institution to take residence in Suzanne's bedroom. Now, Suzanne describes Clara as being 
beneath the quilts and dressed in a brown bathrobe. And this gives us a sense of things being hidden and cloaked and drab. Here's how Suzanne describes the contents of her bedroom after Clara's mournful presence takes over. Sad things, sick things. There were rows of pill bottles on the dresser, crumpled tissues in heaps like withered roses from a forgotten prom. Dresses lay slumped on the wicker rocking chair on my ruffled bed, where I had painted the word love on the wall with magenta dayglow. Someone had draped a sheet. Now notice that with these descriptive details, there's camouflage and at the same time, there's revelation. So we're not being told what Suzanne feels, but we see what she's noticing. And through what is not said and what is spoken, acting together, comes a double meaning. So the narrator tells us something essential about herself, but by shifting the focus to the objects in her room, she avoids obvious emotion. She avoids exaggerated emotion. She avoids self-pity and sentimentality. The word love draped over with a sheet is perhaps the most telling metaphoric detail in this passage. It reveals that love is still there, but is concealed behind pain. Now, the author gives us Suzanne's feelings about her exterior world through the objects that surround her. Suzanne describes the curtains, the funeral purple ones in the dining room, heavy gold plush that fell in a gloomy cascade behind my mother's china orchestra. So these metaphoric descriptions evoke the deprivation and the gloom that the breakup of Suzanne's parents has cast over her life, and also the China-like fragility of their relationships and their emotions. So we get a sense of broken lives, of love on the brink of disintegration, and she doesn't need to tell us how she feels. We feel it through the details. Her emotions, which are complex and layered, are imbued in the chosen details. It's what she notices, and more important, how she interprets what she notices. So the words grief, loss, abandonment, confusion, they never enter the story and they're never acknowledged by the characters. Yet these emotions are strongly evoked. They're present everywhere and they're infused in the details. So there's great restraint in the telling, but the details work hard. And like the word love that's covered by the sheet, the emotions, which are inexpressible and too painful to acknowledge, are there just beneath the surface. So stay anchored in your character's subjective reality. You need to feel with your character. The reason many writers miss with emotional scenes is that they're staying on the outside. It's like they're watching the scene objectively and there's nothing objective about your character. Even if how they react is objectively irrational or they're even suppressing their emotions to your character it's completely rational. 
Why? Because they're driven by something they have little to no control over, their emotions and their need to survive, not physically necessarily, but to survive emotionally, especially when there's a traumatic event like a death or they're in danger or the family falls apart. Whatever feelings they're experiencing changes the way they interpret the world around them. Okay, on to technique number two, restraint. Sometimes characters are not equipped to express or even understand their own feelings. Emotions are primal, so emotional restraint on the part of a character is often a more effective way to move your reader, especially when characters are suppressing their own emotions, their own grief, their disappointment, we can still get at those emotions obliquely. So another strategy to avoid depicting or commenting on obvious emotion is to have characters suppress emotion. When characters suppress their own emotion, it's a form of self-protection. It's a shield. But this works only if the reader is able to intuit the buried emotion. Otherwise, this kind of withholding turns into frigidity. A great example of restraint is this passage from Gustave Flaubert's story, A Simple Heart. This begins at the point in the story when Felicity has just learned of her beloved nephew's death. Liebard looked at her and sighed. Madame Aubain was trembling slightly. She suggested that she should go and see her sister at Trevel, but Felicity shook her head to indicate that there was no need for that. There was a silence. Old Bard thought it advisable to go. Then Felicity said, it doesn't matter a bit. Not to them, it doesn't. Her head fell forward again, and from time to time, she unconsciously picked up the knitting needles lying on the work table. Some women went past carrying a tray full of dripping linen. Catching sight of them through the window, she remembered her own washing. She had passed the lie through it the day before, and today it needed rinsing, so she left the room. Her board and tub were on the bank of the toques. She threw a pile of chemises down by the water's edge, rolled up her sleeves, and picked up her battle door. The lusty blows she gave it could be heard in all the neighboring gardens. The fields were empty, the river rippling in the wind. At the bottom, long weeds were waving to and fro like the hair of corpses floating on the water. So here, Felicity's shock and grief is embodied in what is unspoken. So it's in the silences, it's in the subtleties of gesture. Her head fell forward again, and from time to time, she unconsciously picked up the knitting needles lying on the work table. And then we have dialogue. It doesn't matter a bit, not to them, it doesn't. Then we have action. She threw a pile of chemises down by the water's edge, rolled up her sleeves, and picked up her battle door. The lusty blows she gave it could be heard in all the neighboring gardens. 
And then we have description of setting that act as a metaphor for her inner emotions, the ones that she's suppressing, the empty fields, the river rippling in the wind. And then this, at the bottom, long weeds were waving to and fro like the hair of corpses floating on the water. So as you continue to work on emotional moments in your story, try to steer clear of stating obvious emotions such as sad or frightened or calm, happy, hopeful, panicked, etc. These tell us virtually nothing about your character's feelings. And finally, number three, ground the emotion in the physical world. Readers can intellectualize concepts like happiness, rage, shame, fear, and so on, but unless these concepts are grounded in the physical world, the reader is likely to feel distanced from your story, not moved emotionally. So once you bring the general into the particular, you allow your reader to feel your story and to be genuinely moved by it. One of the most challenging things we do is convey abstract terms like love, sadness, death, birth. These are big ideas and these feelings are very broad and vague and they're not at all easy to express on the page. So as writers, we must continually ask, how does my character's love manifest? How does my character's grief manifest? When Becky feels grief over the death of her child, what unexpected shape does that grief take on? So your task is to render these large ideas in concrete ways. Here's a great example from Robley Wilson Jr.'s story, Favorites. Here, the author makes the abstract idea of grief concrete. He dramatizes it. So after a man's wife dies in a car accident, he remembers her last words to him. I made your favorite dessert. Now the story deals with his final consumption of the cake she made for him. The way he delicately eats the dessert over several days is a powerful way of showing the depth of his grief and the love for his wife. And here's the final paragraph. One night, only a single piece of his wife's dessert remained. He cut it in half. The following night, he cut the half in half. Then he must have realized what he was doing, for on the third night, he ate all that was left of the dessert, luscious, irreplaceable treat, and set the empty pan to soak in the kitchen sink. It's heartbreaking. So sometimes the narrative voice is deliberately kept calm and dispassionate so that the emotion arising from the story events comes through almost wholly undiluted. So if you go back to the three examples I've given, notice how quiet each of these is. So let's recap. To bring emotion onto the page in a way that moves your reader, number one, 
Stay anchored in your character's subjective reality. Number two, use restraint. And number three, make it concrete. One way to practice this throughout is to take a section or scene that you hope conveys a strong emotion. Then go through it, checking for the word feel or any general descriptions of how your characters feel. And wherever possible, replace the word or description with something stronger and more precise. Check for cliches and obvious or exaggerated emotions like women crying and screaming at a deathbed or too little emotion, men being stoic, etc. So you want to replace it with something more precise and allow the emotions to be imbued in something concrete. Try to capture emotion through action, dialogue, gestures, pauses, body language, and description of setting. So there you have it. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you know any writers who need some support in their writing, please share this episode or the Writer Unleashed podcast in general. And if you love what you're listening to, subscribe on your favorite listening platform and please leave me a review. Reading how this podcast impacts your writing truly lights me up and helps me create topics for the show. Till next time, keep writing and I'll talk to you soon.